Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. That's where we're going to be this evening. And... Uh, Man, we have a whole chapter to cover, but it's, pro- it's, it's maybe even one of the reasons why we did this series as a whole was so that we could get to Acts chapter 19. Um, it's a jam-packed chapter. There's all kinds of things that happen in it, um, but it really shows what happens to a place when revival is happening in that place. What happens to a town or a city or a location when God is renewing people in it. So uh, Acts chapter 19, that's where we're going to be. Um, I, I want to just begin by posing this question to you this evening. And the question is this, what is revival? What is it? It's a very popular word in the church right now, but, but what does it actually mean? I, I would put forth to you this evening that to, revive, to have revival means that people are being revived to life. People are being brought back to life. It's in the name, to revive revival, right? Uh, when Jesus was resurrected, he not only displayed what every human longs for, which is to defeat death. Every one of us longs to have love that lasts, to have a life that doesn't end, to exist without loss. We all long for that. And so Jesus displays that it's possible for us to follow him in uh, life everlasting. But he also sets the tone for what we are to see in many other facets of the life of the believer. When he's resurrected, um, it it's almost becomes this new standard for what believers are to look for in different aspects of their lives. So evidence of revival is when the person who was once opposed to God becomes humbled and softened to his voice. We would say something's being revived. Something's, I even think about this, something's being brought back to the garden, if you will. It's the relationship that you had that it seemed irreparable, but all of a sudden through the kindness of God, there seems to be some forgiveness and repairing that takes place. It's renewal, it's revival. Um, it's, it's physical issues being healed. Um, in our language, it's on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what doesn't exist in heaven shouldn't exist on earth. Jesus gave us marching orders to a whole life direction, to pray, to think, to exist on earth as it is in heaven. That's revival. And here in Acts 19, we actually get four markers of what happens when revival is taking place. So to kind of set the scene before we jump into it, Paul, he's this church planter, this church starter. He's going around the Mediterranean. He's starting churches uh, and, and he's spreading the message of Jesus that there is a kingdom power that you can exist in if you have the Holy Spirit. And so he comes to this town named Ephesus, which is in uh, modern day Turkey. And here's what happens. Everybody look down at your Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse one. It says this, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. 
There he found some disciples and he asked them, notice this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Disciple is a loose term in this chapter. <laughs> Verse three, so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Verse five, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. Everybody make note of that. This went on for two years. So that all the Jews, it's a lot of Jews, and all the Greeks, that's a lot of Greeks, who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The first marker of revival in a place is Holy Spirit baptism and the rejection of religion. You want to know what revival is? What, how can we tell if we're, a, if we're in revival? Are people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and is there a rejection of religion? There's a big question that comes from this passage, and the question is this. Maybe even as I read this, some of you are like, yeah, Holy Spirit baptism. And some of you are like, oh gosh, I'm, I thought I was baptized, but am I really baptized? There was the Holy Spirit. Do I have that? Have I ever had the Holy Spirit baptism? The question is this. Are there two baptisms for Christians? Like some Christians are baptized into Christ and then they need to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. Have you heard this before? <laughs> some of you are like, I have PTSD from this. Please tell me this is not one of those churches. <laughs> and to make matters even more confusing, some have thought that if you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, then you will, I mean, it's in the text, speak in tongues and prophesy. And without doing those things, if you don't speak in tongues, you're like, ah, shabadabada. <laughs> like, if you don't speak in tongues, and you don't prophesy, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Hmm. That's incorrect. <laughs> yes, okay, here's the deal. We celebrate all activity of God in our lives. So, so we celebrate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We celebrate those fruits whenever we see them because they're evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We also celebrate signs, wonders, the prophetic, tongues. We celebrate those things as well. Here's the point. We want to have it all, right? I know you guys want to have it all. You want it all, 
So we can't favor things that make sense over what is mysterious. And we can't over-spiritualize things that are mysterious without having the very down-to-earth fruit of the Spirit that believers should have in their lives. So are there two baptisms? A Jesus baptism and a Holy Spirit baptism. I don't think so, but I think there's still two baptisms. You're like, what? They're not, it's not a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. It's the difference between the baptism of Jesus and the baptism of John. There are two baptisms. What does it say? Verse two, it said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, wait a second. Into what baptism were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Well, that's a different baptism than Jesus. So think about this. They got baptized and they didn't get the Holy Spirit. In fact, they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So whose baptism was that? It was John's baptism. Now, continuing on verse four, it says this. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So here's my assessment. Ready for this? Theological assessment, take it or leave it. My assessment is this. These are people who are not yet saved. These are people who had a baptism of repentance. They did a religious act in keeping with Judaism, following this Jewish prophet named John. They were baptized into repentance of their sin, but they weren't baptism into empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They had a religious baptism. They didn't have a relational baptism. Now, according to Paul, the baptism of Jesus comes with the Holy Spirit. In fact, John the Baptist himself said the primary mark of the being baptized into Jesus is getting the Holy Spirit. Here's what he said in, uh, in Mark 1. He said, this is John, John the Baptist speaking, I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Why does this matter? Why are we getting into the weeds on some of this? Here's why this matters for the reviving of a place. Next slide. What you believe about your baptism is directly related to what you believe about your identity. And what you believe about your identity will always determine how much of and the type of fruit you see in your life today. I'm in this church history class in seminary right now, and I'm I'm reading about the Middle Ages, uh, medieval Christianity. And there were many believers who put off baptism to the very last seconds of their life. We're like, what? What? They put it off to the last seconds of their life because they believed baptism was simply to get sins forgiven, not empower a lifestyle like Jesus. So they, they, they would live their whole lives to getting the sacraments, going to mass, until they got to their deathbed and then they were baptized. Because they thought, if I'm baptized before I am really close to death, I could sin and it would undo my baptism. Because it was just an, a baptism of repentance. It wasn't a baptism of entering the very family of God where it, my identity can't be revoked. It was John's baptism, not Jesus'. See, this matters because baptism is an incorporation into Christ. You and Christ become you and Christ incorporated. In the language of Paul, it's you become in Christ. At one point, you were not in Christ, 
At one point, you weren't a part of the people of God, but for those of you who are here this evening, who have given your lives to Jesus, been baptized into Jesus, you are now in Christ. Your whole life is colored with the color of Christ. Whatever Jesus had, you now have. So in in baptism, here's here's what baptism is. You recognize that you need to die if you're gonna really live like him. Colossians chapter two, verse 12 says this, having been buried with him in baptism. Think about the imagery. Just like Jesus went into the ground, baptism is going under the water, dying, and just like he came up out of the ground, you come up out of the water, you were raised with him. Now, notice this past tense. You were raised. When you get baptized, you get raised. And all your life is now colored with resurrection power. See, water baptism is the prophetic act that you are dead to sin and you are alive to Christ. It's not just a destination change after death, but an identity change in the present. It enables the life of Christ. It doesn't simply just enable heaven when you die. You personally get all the benefits that Jesus had when you get baptized by getting the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's what Romans 8.11 says. This one's really good. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. When you so you're like, how did Jesus get raised from the dead? That's pretty hard to raise up a dead person. It's like, well, the Holy Spirit raised him up from the dead. That is the same Spirit that's now alive in you. Do you see what I'm saying? If you think you had John's baptism, you may not live with resurrection power. Even though it's at your fingertips. How many of you guys understand that, let's say that I have a a relative that passes away and they leave me millions of dollars in a bank account with my name on it. If I don't know about that bank account, I won't go down to the bank and withdraw withdraw on the account so that I can have that money affect my life. If you thought that you were baptized and your baptism was just, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sorry for sin. And you didn't realize that your baptism was an incorporation into the very death and resurrection of Christ, you may be living a powerless life when you don't need to. So here's the thing. In revival, there could be people who were baptized in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but who have not walked in step with the Spirit or been open to the Spirit's work and they're dry, and they're dead, and their whole life is just the same old, same old. And it is possible that this happened because they didn't understand the baptism they got. They viewed baptism simply as a covering for sin and not an empowering of the spirit for kingdom work. This is part of the reason why Saints Hill exists. Do you know how many times I have this conversation? Hey, so what do you do? Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor, actually, and uh, I planted a church, I started a church with my friends in Newburgh. Oh my gosh, Newburgh? Do you know how many churches are in Newburgh? I have that conversation all the time. And I, I remember the Lord, he told us to come here. I'm like, take it up with him. Don't take it up with me. I'm just trying to be obedient here. Look, I know that there's a lot of churches here. Here's the thing. There's a lot of dead Christians here too. 
There's a lot of Christians that need to be woken up. And there's a lot of Christians who got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They just don't believe it, so they're not walking in step with the Holy Spirit's power. So, so we actually, yeah, we exist to seek and to save the lost. It was his mission, it's ours. One of the primary reasons why I'm here, why this church is here, is that if you're sitting in your seat right now and you're like, I'm dead, I'm dry, I don't feel any passion for the Lord, we're here so that you might wake up to the reality of your baptism. That's why we're here. And I think it's legal, by the way, to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You're like, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 5.18 says this, and don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In Greek, uh, this word for be filled is in the continuous present tense. What that means is that you could translate this passage this way. Be continually filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So every day, if you're a believer, you get to say, fill me again. Every moment in your day, if you don't feel full, you say, fill me again so that I might have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's good news. It's really good news. In revival, people get free from religious bargaining. I was baptized, so I should go to heaven. And they begin to live hand in hand with the God who knows them. Next, second marker of revival. Go ahead and look down at your Bibles, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Everybody say extraordinary. So that even handkerchiefs, what? And aprons, I want to know how many aprons did Paul own? <laughs> that had touched Paul were taken to those, I'm like, dude, this guy, he's blowing his nose a lot and he's cooking a lot. Okay? They were taken to those who were ill, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Second marker of revival is this extraordinary miracles. You're like, aprons? Handkerchiefs? That's weird. It is, it's weird. I mean, can you imagine what people in our town or in America <laughs> would think if there was a church that I'm like, does anybody have an apron? Bring it. It's like, does anybody have a handkerchief? Pray over it, bring it. Clean it first, then bring it. They would be like, what? That church is so weird. Doesn't sound like God. All right, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be making fun of people. Okay, here's the thing. Here it is in the Bible. Paul is doing something that we have not only never seen in the Old Testament, but we've never seen Jesus do. Where did he get the right to get so creative with the miraculous? Well, Jesus. Jesus says this in John chapter 14. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. You're gonna do what, what he's been doing. And, this is so challenging, they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, greater could be quantity, right? It could be, hey, there's just a lot of Christians, and so they're gonna do a lot of works. And it's a greater amount of works than what, because Jesus was just one guy, right? I think that's true. I also think it's quality, because we have an evidence right here, there's a different type of the miraculous taking place. 
There's a, there's a Peter, his shadow passes over people and they get healed. That's pretty weird, right? What I want you to see is that in revival, there is a glory to glory trajectory that the church is set on. There's an increase in not only the amount of the miraculous happening, but the type of the miraculous happening. And it is my belief that in every season and every year, there will be an increase in God's activity and presence felt and experienced amongst us. Should we choose to stay in line with the Spirit and not quench the Spirit? And so I, I also want to say this, that for a church that is beginning to experience revival, I want us to stay open to the unusual. Are you open to the unusual? Are you open, open to the odd? See, if God is in charge of our gatherings, there will always be an increase in glory. But if I'm in charge of our gatherings, then there will be monuments that are built to, to past memory and to theology. Remember when we did that? Remember when we thought that? Remember when we had that series? We'll start celebrating series rather than the current thing that God is doing. We'll start celebrating programs rather than the fruit that those things are bearing in our midst. It's one of the reasons why one of our greatest desires as leaders to always ask the question, why? Why do we do that? Why do we do this? Because nothing, there's no sacred program. There's no sacred method. The how is flexible, the why isn't. We've been sent to see heaven come to earth. How that happens is gonna change a million times in this family before all of us go to be with him, okay? And it is our responsibility to always remain tender to him, what is he doing? What is he desiring? Because that's where the fresh activity is. And can you make a space in your heart to say, I will open my heart to the unusual. That I might see the new thing that you want to do. I find that people often miss out on what God is doing because it offends their sensibility or their reason. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like what has happened in the past. I recently, I've had many of these conversations all the time, but one's in particular sticking out in my mind. I had a conversation recently with someone um, who was offended by some of the things that we pray for, offended by some of the things that we quote unquote go after. It just doesn't seem like God. Where is that in the Bible, right? And I guess I wanna say this. The Bible is full of God. Okay, give me grace on this. The Bible is full of God, but not all of God is in the Bible. Like, we don't worship the Bible because the Bible isn't God. It's a way for me to understand the God who's larger than my, than my capacity to understand. See, if you believe that all of God is in the Bible, then you will worship the Bible. But if you believe that the Bible points to God and invites a relationship and sets the guardrails around what God's character is like and what he intends to do in your midst, then you're delivered to a relationship with a living being rather than words on a page, okay? Um, so when you were asked, where is that in the Bible? Well, handkerchiefs weren't in the Bible before this. The Bible that Paul had didn't have the apron thing. <laughs> or you get this, like, but why would God do that? Like, it's just so frivolous almost. It's like gold teeth. Really? <laughs> it's like gold dust. Really? Ah, it just seems like if I was God... <laughs> 
See, see in these conversations I have, I, I come to this point where I, where I go, oh, so you still get to determine what God can or cannot do based upon your reason. Look, I don't know why God does things that are, he does a lot of strange things. I don't know why. There are, there are, one of the pastors I love says, you know, there are signs and wonders, and then there are signs that make you wonder. And you're like, that's in the mystery category for me. And I think that part of that is the point. I don't, I want a life with the Lord that has mystery. I want a life with the Lord where he has the right to offend my senses and to lead me to the new thing. The new thing is often brought at the expense of my understanding. So may we never lose our wonder. <laughs> I don't want to lose our wonder. It may look strange. It may look out of control. But, but here's a little bit. You're like, but is there any litmus test? There is. Here's the litmus test of a sign or a wonder. What's the fruit? What's the fruit? Jesus said this. He said, you'll know the tree by the fruit. In other words, you'll know the source by what is produced. So you may be offended by how it's being produced, but if it's produced the fruit of God, then you don't have a right to question the methods. If God's glory in the kingdom is the result, then I'm good with any method he chooses to use. Second marker of revival. He does extraordinary things. Moving on, uh, verse 13. Some Jews... Now, this is crazy, guys. Wow. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, notice that, I command you to come out. <clears throat> Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Ever had an evil spirit answer you? You're like, no. I'm like, I have, and it is crazy. Uh, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That's a bad beating. <laughs> you ever seen a UFC fight? End in nudity? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done, there's repentance. A number who had practiced sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. So in today's amount, that would be $6 million. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must also visit Rome. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, uh, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So he determines after this, I need to go to Jerusalem. But he doesn't quite leave just yet, you'll see. The third marker of revival is this, the real battle is seen. The real battle is seen. What we have here is just a good old-fashioned book burning. It's pretty good, good times. 
And the reason for that is that in a renewal of a place, the real battle is seen. Those are not simply books. There's the demonic activity and presence behind them. And we're not messing with that stuff anymore. Did you see those guys naked and bleeding? We're not messing with it anymore. When you see the demonic is real, maybe some of you know this, when you recognize that there is a real demonic spirit, spirits out there, you know you need a solution that is out of this world. When you see what is really behind the entertainment that you take in, the podcast that you listen to, that website, when you see what's behind it, you see the demonic, there will be a never going back point in your life. And until you recognize the battle for what it really is, you may continue to dabble with things that a believer has no business dabbling with. These books... um, were used for sorcery. They were used for witchcraft. Well, what is that? <laughs> like Sorcery, witchcraft? Uh, very simply, sorcery is the manipulation of the spirit world for material and worldly gain. Witchcraft is the manipulation of the, of the demonic spiritual world for earthly, physical gain in our present. And it is the natural result of idolizing this present world. If you idolize things in this world, you will use whatever you have at your fingertips to control this world. Now here's the question that I had. I I, I had this question, it's kind of a funny question, maybe you didn't have this one, but I had this question, why were the books bad? You're like, they were sorcery books. I'm like, you got Harry Potter on your shelf? Why, why are the books bad? Why are these books bad? And why is the handkerchief not bad? Because that seems like a material, they're both material things, and they're, they're doing some spiritual stuff around us. Well, the books were physical things intended to manipulate the spiritual world for physical gain. The handkerchief was the manipulation of the material world for heaven's gain. One has God behind it, the other has humans behind it. One is, comes from a submission to God's will. The other is humans playing God themselves. See, we could think that witchcraft and sorcery are things that just don't happen much anymore, especially in a reasonable culture like the one we live in. But they actually happen anytime humans are behind the manipulation of someone's thinking or spirit. The manipulation of people for political or financial gain. It's witchcraft. The manipulation of people's emotions or understanding of reality for your own personal gain. It's witchcraft. You are messing with people's hearts and spirits and minds that God has supernaturally given them. It says in Ecclesiastes, eternity has been placed in the heart of every person. People are not neutral beings that are, have yet to have a spirit. They are people full with their own spirit who have yet to meet the Holy Spirit. <laughs> So when we manipulate people or the physical world for physical gain, we lie for the sake of the control of others. It's witchcraft. But when you see what's really behind the lies, what's behind manipulation of people, you burn that life and you submit to his. So let me ask you this. In this revival that we're experiencing right now, are you beginning to see what is really happening or are all of your enemies still people? 
Back in the, uh, the late fifth century, the founder of France, the guy who started France, uh, his name was, was Clovis. And he was baptized into Christ after warring against Christian tribes and nations. And, and here's what happened at his baptism after this radical change. The baptistry was hung with tapestries. Fragrant candles flared. The aroma of incense filled the shrine with fragrance. Clovis advanced to the baptismal font and the bishop said, bend your neck. Worship what you burned and burn what you worshiped. This is the invitation of every person in revival. This is the invitation to our town. What you trashed, what you hated, what you despised, worship and burn the rest that doesn't belong to him. Burn what you worship. Last marker, look down at your Bibles. It's a little bit of a longer chunk, but we'll, we'll make it. Verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. The, the church gets this new name here, the way. It's awesome. Verse 24, a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines to Artemis brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in, pra in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger. Not only that, to our, that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. Pay attention to that. The temple is going to be discredited. It's going to play a factor in just a moment. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. People aren't going to buy into this girl anymore. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus. There we go, Aristarchus. Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. <laughs> you can imagine he's like, oh, there's a riot? Uh, let me talk to him. <laughs> Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I'm going to leave that one alone. Uh, verse 33. The, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. <laughs> you go up there. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people, but when they realized he was a Jew, they shouted all in unison for about two hours. <laughs> Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Oh my gosh. Verse 35, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. 
You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's really no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. The last marker of revival is that idols are confronted. Ephesus was the capital of the temple of uh, Artemis. So worship of Artemis, it all centered in Ephesus. She was a goddess of fertility and of animals and of hunting. And uh, this was a huge financial deal. The temple, actually this temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and was the largest building in the Greek world. The biggest building. It was about four times larger than the Athenian Parthenon. Okay, so everybody knows about the Parthenon. This thing's four times the size. The temple um, was made of solid marble. It was brilliantly gilded in silver and gold. The altar was large enough to sacrifice hundreds of animals on it simultaneously. Here's uh, what it probably looked like. This is a model where you can go visit this in um, it's Ephesus. It's not called Ephesus anymore, but in Turkey today. That's what it would have looked like. And uh, in this society, their religion and economics were tied together. The, the temple actually served as one of the largest banks in the ancient world. So you think about, what are they worried about? That temple's gonna get discredited. What's in there? Our money. We need this temple to have its good name because it backs, it gives us security to our finances. Uh, it was filled with great works of art. It, art, uh, it attracted uh, many thousands of visitors each year bringing wealth into the city. It not only played a role in the economy, it essentially was the economy, okay? And I love how, how, how practical this effective revival is about the temple. It's just economic. Nobody's gonna buy your little figurines anymore. And our temple is gonna be discredited and our money is gonna be worthless. Inflation. <laughs> Essentially what we have here is the economic threat of idols not being purchased because people are worshiping the real God. I would put forth that revival isn't complete until our treasure shifts at a cultural level. And this is honestly one of the things I'm most anticipating in the life of this church. What we see here is that the economy, is that economies can be ruined by revival if economies are based on idolatry. In the place where revival's taking place, um, there can be no treasure above him. People are getting too free for that to remain. People are getting too connected to him for there to be treasure that's above him. And I believe that this is gonna happen here in our town. I believe this is gonna happen in our valley, that as the gospel spreads here in Newburgh and as homes get kingdom culture in them and people experience God's presence, there will be things that people spend less money on. There will be things that people value less. There will be an economic effect. The temple of the public school system. 
the temple of alcohol, the temple of comfort. <clears throat> these are things that I believe that when people of God come together and say, our values are these because of what he's doing amongst us. Our values have become this set of values because of the truth that he has laid out in his scriptures. We can no longer spend our money and our finances on things that are idolatrous. This is a result of revival. It's a little bit uncomfortable because I think maybe you're putting the pieces together. Christians get blamed for economic shifts when revival is taking place. There will be tension because people are getting free and worshiping the real God. The idols of our culture will begin to fade and be torn down. But we don't stop there. The question for us tonight is this. What will replace the ruins of our culture's idolatry? See, here's what the temple site looks like today. <clears throat> you guys know the poem of Ozymandias? <laughs> There's actually a, a Breaking Bad episode that was named Ozymandias because <laughs> his whole life fell apart, but there's this famous poem where uh, this, this traveler is traveling through these ancient Middle Eastern lands and he comes across a statue just sticking up out of the sand and on the statue's plaque it reads, I am Ozymandias and these are my great works. Set your eyes upon them and there's nothing in sight. Kingdoms come, kingdoms fade. So the question is this, what will remain? What will we build instead as believers? Guys, it is my desire to see businesses begin to grow and become established here that have an honor culture within their staff. It, it is my desire that, that there are families, that some of you young people here tonight, that you would meet people who you're gonna marry and that you would start families where you prophesy over one another and over your children and heaven becomes the culture of your home. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's very practical, but I actually have a vision. One of the reasons why I'm here is that I'm here to give college students a reason to stay in Newburgh, that our church would become a reason to stay here and, and to actually start businesses and build family here, to see such a town taken for, by the presence of God and taken by kingdom culture. It's one of my greatest desires. I, when I was at, I went to George Fox. When I was there, I remember just thinking, well, I can't really stay here. All my friends are gonna move away. But what if they didn't? And what if this town was like a new Geneva? What if this town was like a new place where there was a reformation and a revival that took place and people moved here simply to experience the presence of God and flourish in life? I mean, we have a choice. What, what, what will we do with the lives that we've been given? Because the choices that we make tonight, the choices that we make today about what we will do and what we will build here will replace the void in our economy left by idolatry. And, and I don't want the vacuum to exist and to be filled by six more spirits that bring their friends. What a picture of revival, right? Baptism in the spirit. Unusual signs of heaven. The real battle being seen economic shifts in righteousness. So what's our response as a church? What is our response as a people? Guys, this is what I burn for. I, I believe that every human was designed to exist in revival. 
to exist in a constant state of glory to glory, increase in signs and wonders, experiencing God every single day, unusual healings, the demonic being pushed back and confronted, economics and families being touched. This is why our church exists. When we planted, um, I don't know if it was, somebody gave us this word or if I was just reading one day, but, but Isaiah 64 became very important to us. Here's Isaiah, what Isaiah 64 says. It says, come down, speaking to the Lord, come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze, think in an instant, and causes water to boil, think over time. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. I felt like this was a passage for us as a church that the coming of the Lord, the reviving of Newburgh would be like twigs catching a blaze. How do twigs catch a blaze? Instantly. Like kindling. Boom, they just go right up. And I felt like the Lord said some, there will be people, he, he, you know, our church did not start this size, there will be people who, when they get, get in touch with the presence of God, they just catch it. Boom, they're on fire for the Lord. This is what we're experiencing right now. But there will also be a boil. Just like that fire applied to a pot takes time for water to come to a boil, over time that heat when applied will cause great activity. I believe there's many, many more to come into the kingdom through this family. And I sort of want to mark this moment as we end and I want to recognize that what we are experiencing as a church is revival. Um, we had three reports just this last week of healing, uh, specifically in the spine. We've had so many reports of healing over the past couple years, like tons. Um, we've, had, we've seen people come to faith. There was just a young man this past week who gave his heart to the Lord here in one of our gatherings. There, um, yeah, that's worth clapping for. Uh, just a, a few months ago, we, we did baptisms, and there were 10 people that spontaneously just decided to get baptized. Some of you are here tonight, I know. Amazing. Um, I hear countless stories of believers uh, who grew up in the religious mindset getting free by the true message of identity change and power in relationship with God. It's powerful. I, I see a fearlessness on you, not loving this life so much that you actually end up dying a thousand deaths as you shrink from your destiny but stepping into your destiny right here, right now, this is all that we have. I see that. The twigs have caught fire and we are about to see what the boil will look like. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. And the yoke is so much easier